Take your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 23. I have tried to change this sermon today and uh, just not able to do it. And uh, so late last night, as even as late as last night, I, I thought, let's give them something fresh from the book of Galatians. And uh, I just had this very strong impulse that, no, no, God wants me to look at Psalm 23. One of the reasons why I didn't want to do it is because we know the psalm very well, don't we? We can probably repeat it from memory. But, uh, but there are 12 things that God does in Psalm 23 for us. 12 things. And I'll bet you and I can't name all 12 things without looking carefully at the passage of Scripture. There is this advertisement on TV of this lady caric caricature artist who is drawing a picture of a guy that is so distinct, there's no way to mess it up, is there? And if you've seen the commercial, you have seen her draw every detail, exaggerating it, but it's just, per she nailed it. And yet, when she asks him what he thinks, he says, I don't see it. I don't see it. How many people read Psalm 23 over and over and over again, and they still don't see it. Well, let's take a look at Psalm 23. Now, you're going to say 20, uh, 12 things there, Pastor? It's not going to take long. Don't worry about it. It is not going to take long. But the psalm, but the psalm begins in verse 23 by saying, The Lord is my shepherd. God, number one, is a shepherd to us. And he needs to be a shepherd to us because sheep aren't known for being the most intelligent animals on the face of the earth. Sheep need to have a leader. Sheep need to have someone protecting them. Sheep need to have someone providing for them. One thing I really liked about last week's sermon is how well Pastor Zach connected the Old Testament with the New Testament when God invites us to come and to uh, come to his house, how he went into the New Testament and I want to remind you, there's two passages of Scripture that I like very, very well. The first one is in Ezekiel chapter 34. So if you have your Bible and you can keep your thumb in Psalm 23 and flip over to Ezekiel chapter 34, we have a good description of a shepherd. God claims to be the shepherd in this particular passage of Scripture. And in verse 11, what does he say? For thus says the Lord God indeed... I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he is among his scattered sheep, so will I seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them to their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel in the valleys and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them in good pasture, and their fold shall be on the high mountains of Israel. There they shall lie down in a good fold and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock. I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. We don't even need to look at the John 10 passage of Scripture where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. 
And I give my life for my sheep. God is a shepherd to us. And because he is a shepherd for us, it means that he provides for all of our needs. And so the conclusion of the matter is that I have everything that I need. Everything that I need. I shall not be in want. When Jesus said in the, in the, in the gospel of Mark, Matthew and also in Luke, he says when you're to pray to the Father, you're to pray that God would give us our daily bread. Now, if God didn't intend to do that, then Jesus wouldn't ask us to pray that way. But God intends to meet our needs. The second thing the Bible tells us in Psalm 23 is that the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. God almost insists that you and I lie down in green pastures. Now, the sense of this is you can look at green pastures and you can look at that green grass and you can say, well, this is all about God feeding us spiritually. That's okay. That's good. That's good. It's a great application for what he says. But you need to take it a step further and understand what God is talking about when he wants to reach a conclusion for us when he spiritually feeds us. And that is that he wants us to rest. I want you to be in green pastures where you can rest. When I was a kid, there was a farm right across the road from us and there were cows there. I've shared this with you before, I'm sure. Forty-some years here, you've heard this before. And I used to sit there by the fence and I used to look at those cows and they would go and they'd wander through the pasture and they would just get, gather all this grass and then they'd go and they'd sit down and they would chew the cud. And I used to watch those cows just chew that cud for hours on end. So content. So content. God wants us to rest God wants us to rest in green pastures that he is providing for us. Now, Dawn was walking through the grass yesterday, and she said, you know, this grass is crunchy. It's crunchy. And she didn't know. I've been praying for rain. I've been praying for rain. You know that we're sitting there on the deck in the backyard and she looks up and she says, oh, look at that big black cloud up there. And I says, yeah, I see it. It's, I'm telling you the truth. I'm not lying to you. I'm telling you the truth because it wasn't just us. It was all of our neighbors too. And I don't know how far in Connellsville because I couldn't see how far the rain was going. But that cloud stopped over our house. It just seemed like it stopped over our house and it rained for 40 minutes. God provides our needs. It rained for, and what a refreshment it was for us. So we didn't have, we don't have to, you know, we got, we may have brown, brown grass. But I tell you what, I said to the Lord, I said, thank you, Lord. This is so refreshing. We got a half inch of rain. I put a, put a bucket out there. I wanted, I wanted to see how much rain we got. 
What's the next thing he does? He not only provides for us because he is a shepherd and we're sheep who need it. But he gives us green pastures where he almost insists that we rest in green pastures. And number three, he leads us beside the still waters. He leads us. Now, again, you can look at the still waters and you can say, well, this is God refreshing us spiritually as we drink from the well of life. You can do that, but you need to take it a step further and understand just like the green pastures, the still waters are to represent something else. Number one, not only am I at rest in green pastures, but when he leads me beside the still waters, I am at peace. We just sang about it. Wonderful peace. I don't know about you. I, I Dawn would agree. You know, we, when we go hiking in the woods in the springtime, sometimes you come across these torrential streams, you know, and they come tumbling down the hillsides and they cascade off the mountain there in the gorge there that goes from Connellsville to Hyapow. And, and I'll tell you what, they can be, they're, they're fun to watch. Waterfalls are kind of nice, you know, but torrential streams, if you're walking along them, can be pretty, 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 um, uh, create a lot of, what do I, what, anxiety. Got to watch your step. We wanted to go up to that natural water slide one time in Ohio Pow, and it had just rained. And when we got up there, that river, that stream was so swollen, it was scary just standing there and watching how fast everything was moving. God says, I'm not leading you beside those torrential streams. I'm leading you beside the steel moving waters so that you and I can be at peace. So God provides for us. He makes us rest in green pastures. He leads us beside the still waters. And he restores my soul. He renews my soul. I don't think I have any commentary to give you on this except to say this. Everybody turn to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. And you and I are going to read three verses together. Isaiah chapter 40. Three verses together. I don't care if your translation is the same as mine. I'm reading from the New King James. Those are New King James Bibles in your pew. But in chapter 40, verse 29, everybody together. Here we go. Are you ready? Do you have it? Give you another second. Here it is. No more commentaries necessary than this. He, everybody together. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. I remember the first time I was on a... Boy, you came, at the, you came for the right week for talking about hiking trails, Daryl. And... Um, uh, I remember the first time I was on the Laurel Highlands hiking trail, and we're up on top of Laurel Ridge. The first time, I don't know, you may have been with us, Terry, where we're looking down on, I think there were a couple of eagles up there. We were looking down on them flying. They can fly a lot higher than that, but you know, it's just, it just mesmerizes you when you watch birds, for instance, hawks for sure, when you watch birds flying. And here we were effortlessly above all of the all of what was going on down on the ground and it, you, you sit there and you just wonder you just wonder at the peace and serenity 
that they get to experience high up in the sky. God says we can be like that. Well, I said no commentary, but there I am. Anyway, the Bible says God is a shepherd. He provides. He makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside the still waters. He restores, renews our soul. He strengthens us. That's the final thought there. When we need it the most, he strengthens us. And then number five, what does he do? He leads us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He leads us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That means that he guides us. He guides us so that I, you and me can stay on the right path. So you and I cannot be lured by the rabbit trails. Uh, once again, um, uh, if, you, if you go hiking, and uh, I asked Daryl this morning, I said, listen, on the, main, the main trail of the Appalachian Trail, is it, it, how is it marked? With what color? And he said, it's white, right? And then any trails that go off of a main trail were in blue, right? And I, I you know, when I'm on the uh, on Laura Highland hiking trail, we used to hike it a lot when I was uh, younger and able to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Every time you're on the main trail, I, I, I forget whether it's yellow on the main trail there or blue on the side trail. I forget which, what it is. But every time I would see the markings from it, because they blaze those trails, even though the trail is so well uh, uh, used that you wouldn't lose your way under any circumstances, they still have it blazed. But every time you see a side trail, you see, I would always say, I wonder what's on that side trail. There's always a lure for a side trail. And side trails often become rabbit trails, don't they? Side trails can become dead ends. Imagine the, you can imagine this because you and I realize that in our lifetime, we have been on many trails, but God says that he leads us on the right path. He keeps us in the right path. On the right trail. So we don't go down rabbit trails. We don't end up in dead ends. So that we don't have to, and here's the worst, retrace our steps with all of the lost time and all of the lost energy it takes to get back to where you need to be in the first place. And I've shared this with you. I know we threw a tent. My brother and I threw a tent in the car and went out to California one time. And uh, we had worked hard at Anchor Hawking Glass Corporation. We needed a break. I mean, and so we thought a refreshing break out west would really be good. And we wanted to see as many, uh, many ghost towns as we possibly could. So we went to, we, uh, we, we found out there was one of the many that we saw. There was one called Silver City. And it was on an old dirt road that took miles and miles to get back there through canyon and up on top of these cliffs and everything. And, and I remember before we got there, we got off the main highway and we traveled back this road and it ended at a ranch. And we'd been on this road probably for 15, 20 minutes, maybe half hour. And when we got to the ranch, we said, where's Silver City? Well, it's not here. This is the wrong road. You're going to have to go back out to the main highway and take the next dirt road. <laughs> Our heart sunk. I mean, the, it, was getting, it was getting late in the afternoon. We were losing a lot of time. You and I know that we make a lot of decisions in life when we get on the wrong trail where we often have to retrace our steps. Right? Absolutely. And it's no fun. I remember one time, uh, the academic dean of women told me one time at Shelton College, 
Uh, she said to me, she says, Gary, you know, I, I was, it was a situation where I was not being very conscientious. And she says, Gary, you, you know, the only thing you're doing is postponing your, God's will for your life. You're just putting it off. I'm putting it off. If you get down to business, then you can get back on track. Well, God is there. God is there to keep us on track so that we can stay on the right path. And the Bible says in this particular case that when we stay on the right path, that it brings honor to him. And there's nothing more in this world that I want that we shouldn't want than to bring honor to God. Amen? And so the Bible says that God provides. God makes us to lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside the still waters. He restores our soul. And he guides us in the paths of righteousness so we can stay on the right trail. Now I want you to notice a change. Up to this point, David has said, the Lord is my shepherd. He makes me. He leads me. He restores me. He leads me. But notice what he does in verse 4 and following. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff comfort me. You prepare a table before me. You anoint my head with oil. Do you see the change here? Do you see where the, the psalmist is getting very personal with this now? And he's saying, you know, I've been telling you about the Lord and what he does for us. But Lord, now I'm talking to you personally. I can, I can, I can testify to the fact that when I'm in the darkest valley, you stay close beside me. You never leave me. You never forsake me. Why is he able to not fear in the darkest valley? In those valleys, the shepherd knew this well. And I love to share this because uh, when I was a kid, this was one of the hardest things for me to understand what a valley of the shadow of death really was. But in that day and age, of course, and over in the Holy Land where you had to get to these high mountain pastures, you had to go through these deep ravines to get there. And when you'd walk up these deep ravines, sometimes it would be dark in midday because the sun couldn't reach the bottom of the ravines. But the shepherd was there to guide the flock through those ravines, through those alpine meadows. Well, as alpine as you can get in the hill country of Judea and, 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 and Galilee. But anyway... Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not afraid. I can do it with courage. Why? Because God stays close. And then what does he say in number seven? Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. God protects us in two ways he protects us because the rod and the staff were two different instruments. The one was to fend off wild animals and the other one was to gently bring a lamb back that was maybe stuck in the briars or close to a cliff. And in both cases, thy rod and thy staff they protect me, and because they protect me, I am comforted, and I feel safe, and I feel secure. And once again, I would move you to John chapter 10 in the New Testament, John chapter 10, verses 11 through 14, where God says he takes care of his sheep, he watches over them, he protects them. These two verses in that passage, I think, are 
are, are pretty, pretty good. I am the good shepherd, verse 11, he gives his life for his sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, he's one who doesn't own the sheep. He sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and he does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by my own. I care about them, so I'm not going to leave you in a precarious position like that. I'm not going to run away. I'm going to be there. I will fend off the wolf. I will gently lead you from the edge of the cliff back to where you need to be. God protects. And then number eight, the Bible says that you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So we've got green pastures and still waters, a soul that's restored, paths of righteousness, darkest valley to deal with, a rod and staff where God protects us. And then God says, I prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. Now we all have enemies, do we not? If you don't think you have enemies, I don't know where you live. You may not think you have any enemies because you've been the nicest person on the face of the earth all of your life and you want everybody to like you, but I assure you, you have enemies. Satan is your biggest one. And he'll, he'll get as many enemies after you as he possibly can. But the point is, those can be distractions for us, you know. You don't always want to be looking over your shoulder and always wondering what's around you and who you have to be careful with, you know. But God says, I prepare a table before you in the presence of, my, of your enemies. And the point is, the point is, I can feast undistracted. We get so preoccupied with problems that we can't eat. Can't think of anything else but the problems. But God says, I will prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies so that you can feast undistracted. The next one, number nine. See, I told you this would happen quick. Number nine, oil. Look at that. You anoint my head with oil. Now, a shepherd would anoint a sheep with oil if they got a wound or a cut or or an abrasion, they would use, didn't have band-aids like we have today, or, but they had ointment, they had oil that they could put on the wound, and that would lend to the healing process, and it was kind of soothing for the animals. And, but the point here is that he uses this because we understand in the Old Testament that anointing someone with oil meant that you cared enough about them, in the sheep's case, to honor them. Unbelievable. God honors us. We don't deserve it. There's nothing in us that we deserve, but God is willing to anoint us with oil. He's willing to honor us. I'm honored because of my shepherd who takes care of me. And not only that, he says, but my cup runs over. Why? Because God fills the cup. You didn't think you did, did you? You didn't think that you go through your lifetime and you're the one who fills your cup. Like the woman at the well, I was what? <laughs> I was, uh, I, I needed, um, fill my cup, Lord, I lift it up, Lord. Quench the thirst of my soul. But God fills the cup. 
It overflows. My life is overflowing with blessings. You say, I don't see it. Like the commercial. I don't see it. Well, look for it. You don't see it because you're not looking for it. You're not counting your blessings. Boy, now more than ever, we need to get up in the morning and we need to start counting our blessings. We need to start the day. Don't start the day with the bad stuff on your mind. Start the day with the good stuff and say, wow, Lord, this is really great. You've been very good to me today. That's what we need to do, right? Amen? Amen. And next, so we got, uh, that's 10. We got two more and we're done. I like these last two because this talks about, you know, God provides in the first, uh, first four uh, verses and uh, verse three verses. And then he protects us in verses four and following. And then, and then he preserves us, you know, he preserves us. I couldn't ever figure out why they called, uh, you'd, you'd, can, you'd, can, uh, you'd can fruit in the fall and you'd put some sugar in there and, and you'd call it preserves. Well, why do they call it preserves? You would know. Is it because we're preserving something that would rot right in front of us if we kept it out? <laughs> I'm, I'm, ser- I'm serious. I have a fruit salad in the, in the, I love fruit salad in the summertime. And I, I know that there's a certain amount of time I can leave it in the refrigerator. But if I, if I don't eat it in a certain amount of time, I have to pitch it. God's not going to pitch you and me. He's preserving us. Look at the two illustrations he gives us, 11 and 12. When he, David talks about all the days of his life, he's talking about this temporary period of time that he was living on this earth. He says, all the days of my life, you, Lord, are going to pursue me with goodness and mercy. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And, 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 and he says, listen. He says, goodness and mercy. I love the connection of the two. Goodness will follow me and mercy will follow me. God does us good But he also needs to be merciful to us because we are stupid sheep. All we like sheep have gone astray. Isaiah 53. When God pursues me with goodness and mercy, it means he forgives me ultimately. It means he's going to let the past go. And, and, And you know what? I'll be stupid again, and I'll be stupid again, and I'll be stupid again, and I'll be stupid again. But God is going to follow me, pursue me with goodness and with mercy. I like this because I think it illustrates all of us, even though this is kids. A funny thing happened in a small town in Maryland a few years ago. A mother of eight was coming home from a neighbor's house one afternoon, and things seemed too quiet as she walked across the front yard. Curious, she peered through the screen door and saw five of her youngest children huddled together, concentrating on something. As she crept closer to them, trying to discover the center of attention, she could not believe her eyes. Smack dab in the middle of the circle were five skunks. The mother screamed at the top of her voice, Quick, children, run! Each child grabbed a skunk and ran. (laughs) You and I say, oh... (laughs) kids will be kids. 
Yeah, and sinning children will be sinning children. Right? And that's the way we are. But all the days of my life, I can depend upon the Lord pursuing me with His goodness and His mercy. And then finally, not only does He talk about the days of our life, but now He talks about eternity. Eternity. I don't have to worry about that either. Because I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I will live in God's house forever, wherever God's house is. God's house is, is, is in heaven. That's the real estate that we call God's house right now. And then, of course, we symbolically dedicate all of our church buildings to the Lord and say, you're coming to God's house. But God's house is everywhere, right? Because God is everywhere. And one day, His house is going to be here on this earth, right? Revelation chapter 21 and 22. And I will have the opportunity to live in God's house forever. Because not only does he pursue me with his goodness and mercy, but he has promised it to be true. Twelve things. Maybe you can find some more. I love to give this as an assignment if you are stressed out to the core and you don't know what to do, don't be surprised if I say, hey, find 12 things in Psalm 23 that God does for you. He does it for his children. All we like sheep have gone astray. Without getting into the, the Isaiah 53 passage of Scripture, keep in mind, all we like sheep have gone astray, but God is willing to deal with our sin. And as the good shepherd... To forgive us. Will you allow God to be your shepherd? Will you invite the Lord to be your good shepherd? Let's close the service. Everybody standing as we sing our final song of invitation. We're going to sing, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Just the first stanza. We'll do the first stanza and the chorus. And as we do this, will you turn your eyes upon Jesus as a believer or as an unbeliever, come to Christ. Let's sing it together. Jesus, we thank you for how you have applied this to us in the New Testament and this age in which we live. And it's our prayer that those who do not know you as Savior will respond, 
will come to you, open their hearts, help them to clearly see your goodness and your mercy and all that you do for your children. And we pray, Lord, that we can rejoice together as we see new life. And Lord, we ask that as we are dismissed here today, that you'd keep us safe, uh, that you'd bring us back to honor you, to glorify you, to praise your name with thanksgiving next week. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen.